Taylor Decker's on my all 22 fantasy team. Stop. They don't care. So the strategic component to this game is through the roof. Your predictions, right? Your forecasting in fantasy football into how good is this player? This is gonna it's gonna change the industry. Yeah. yeah. I move to the old town with those down. Look at me now. I wrote my goals down. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another All 22 Podcast. Ray, I'm back, man. How you feeling? I'm feeling great. It's good to have my homie back out on bail, uh, awaiting a sentencing hearing coming up here. But uh, yeah, it's 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 good to have you back. I flew solo one episode, and it's just, it's not the same. You know, you, you need you need your co-pilot there. You don't have any like technology in prison, so I didn't get to listen. How? What did you talk about? I don't remember. Dude. I don't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday morning. I don't remember what we talked about. Whatever it was, though, I think it was insightful. I think it was very insightful. Wow. Um, it's like, Mozart, like you could play it. You could play it like forward and back or back and forward, and it'll still make sense. Like that's how exactly. Like you play it forward, it's about linebackers. You play it backwards, it's about defensive ends and safeties. So it's it's perfect. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's great. It's great. <laughs> yeah. So I, I bet you missed me, uh, but I'm back. I'm back. Uh, hopefully, we can be doing weekly episodes again. Uh, but I'm running on like five hours of sleep over the last three or four days. So. Um, with that, I'm going to let you lead the podcast. I'll just try to throw in some antidotes every now and then, but Ray, what do you got for me today? Oh, we're in trouble again. The audience <laughs> is like, really? We're doing this again. So, uh, yeah, I am driving the truck. So we're about to go off a cliff, but last uh, episode since, we did this was like the yeah. best episode we did. So you know what? Come on. I, okay, cool. Yeah. Great. Um, well, well, let's top it here then. So since we last potted together, which was our greatest episode ever. Um, Jalen Ramsey came back onto the field. He's played two games since we talked about him early in the year when he suffered that injury. Hey, you know, are the dolphins going to be in contention? Is he going to come back around Thanksgiving, kind of get his, his legs under him and, and kind of be what you expected him to be for this stretch run, because he is in what his age 29 season as a cornerback was still playing at a very high level heading into the season before the injury took place. Right. So um, with two games under his belt, since his return, he came out with, with a bang, had a 90 grade, I think 90.5 followed by a much more pedestrian 64.5 overall defensive grade, right? That first game back was against the new England Patriots and he gave up one catch for 24 yards on three targets and had a pick. Um, against Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs, while they don't have great receivers, that's still a heck of an offensive scheme, and of course, Pat Mahomes. So um, he had a, a penalty in that game, only two catches for 13 yards, but again, was kind of getting his legs back under him. Like I said, committed that penalty, was not quite as sticky in coverage as he was in that first game. So I guess, what's your initial takeaway from that and kind of your... Uh, you know, thoughts on Jalen Ramsey here for the rest of the season. Are we more likely to kind of get performances closer to that initial game grade against the Patriots or more towards that uh, sort of pedestrian Kansas City performance as we move forward from here on out? Yeah, so Jalen Ramsey, right, he's top three cornerback in the league year over year. Usually he's number one, right? So he's a a top talent. Um, He's going to play like a top talent. He's not going to lose that. Turns 29, but he's still in his prime. Uh, you know, injuries aside, he's he's playing as good a football as you can play, right? That first game back at a 90 grade, that just shows what he's capable of. 
you know Bill Belichick can do things, uh, and and Ramsey went above it, right? He 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 played above that level. Goes to Kansas City, playing against the best quarterback in the NFL, best offensive coach in the NFL, and still had a pretty good game, right? It wasn't great, but it was pretty good. Uh, I think the rest of his schedule isn't awesome. It's not terrible either. You know, I know he plays the Bills one more time. He plays the Patriots again, I think. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but you know, the mm-hmm. the the Bills with the firing of Ken Dorsey, with Josh Allen kind of being really turnover prone right now. I just think that could be a really good game for Ramsey. And this is the type of player that makes a difference on a team, right? The Dolphins needed a guy like Ramsey to come back and make an impact because right now they're this kind of middling team that can beat bad teams, but cannot you know, do anything against teams with like good records, right? You get a guy like Ramsey back and that changes, right? He can be the guy, the differentiator that helps you get above those other teams. So I think Ramsey's going to be fine. Um, your trade deadline probably passed, but if you were one of those losing teams, this is a guy that I'd say he's a great guy to trade because you could probably get a good return from him. I'd say you could probably get a second, third, and fourth round pick potentially, maybe not all in the same year, but you can get like a group of really high draft picks for him. You might get a first if you're lucky, but if you were to do that, I think that's a great play if you're a losing team with a 29-year-old corner, right? Corners, it's a young man's game. You want a young corner, 29. He is probably towards the end of his career. Maybe you get one or two good years out of him, but I think if you're, again, a losing team, getting those high draft picks is valuable. You would do that. If you didn't, Again, this is a guy that you want, just like he's going to impact the Dolphins. He's a guy that's going to impact your team. Cornerbacks are 4.86% of your weekly grading. Uh, you know, that's that's one of the higher positions. It's it's right above the middle of the tier, but it is a higher graded position, uh, valued position. So you want a guy like Ramsey, right? He's a guy that can help take you to that next level. The other thing I'll say about Ramsey, right? There are very few corners in the league that are consistent, right? Like this is a position that's extremely hard to do consistently play at a high level. Ramsey has done that throughout his career. So getting a guy like that back is literally something that can just be plug and play. You could depend on it week after week, and it can really help you get to that next level, taking you to the playoffs. Yeah. You said something there that was interesting. So, and I, I did look up their schedule, their remaining schedule while you were going there so they don't play the patriots again but they do play the jets twice um like you mentioned bills you got the cowboys in there that's likely a tough matchup you know depending on on how they deploy cd lamb um raiders will have to say i'm actually very interested in their next game against uh the raiders here because you got Devonte adams over there but then you got some sorry quarterback play too so uh interesting to see how they how they use him there but um yeah, I think I think overall agreed. And it's one of those things where even if your trade deadline has passed uh, this offseason, maybe look to unload him too if you, if you're not a a super contender because he's that that age number there, right? It's still going to be 29 until uh, October of, of of next season. So uh, you might still be able to get away with trading a not yet 30 year old corner in the offseason um, if your trade deadline has already passed and you're not necessarily looking to uh, contend for one year or you're just looking to get some more assets for the future. So um, that's the, that's the, I guess, Ramsey manifesto, if you will. But you mentioned how corner is tough and it's tough to be consistent there. And so uh, I think it was a good time to take a deeper look at the cornerback position as a whole, given Ramsey's return. And 
just looking at the highest coverage graded corners with at least 200 covered snaps so far this season, some of the names will surprise you. Some of the names, hopefully you listened to us before this season, but number one is actually Paulson Adebo of the New Orleans Saints with the highest coverage grade in the league. And just compared to last season, he had the 73rd highest coverage grade uh, in, in, in the league. So that is absolutely not consistent. That is very high variance, which is what we discussed, right? Number two, Deron Bland of the Cowboys, who was our breakout pick this year. Then three, you have Sauce Gardner, so who was first overall in coverage grade last year. So that's that's not a surprise, right? That's something you, you would expect to see. Fourth, you have Darius Williams of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And five, you have DJ Reed, also of the of the uh, New York Jets, who was actually the 20th graded cover corner last season. So one thing that immediately stands out to me outside of the obvious, whoa, Paulson Adebo uh, and maybe Darius Williams being up that high is if you look at the pass rush performance of each of their respective teams, right? The Saints, 16th, smack dab in the middle of the pack, right? But Dallas, third, New York Jets, fifth, Jags, 28th. So you have three of the five have a top five pass rush unit in front of them. And then the other two, who are the surprising names on the list, do not. So maybe if I'm seeing that and I'm seeing these names, I'm wondering just how sustainable that performance is if they don't have a great pass rush in front of them because they have not played consistently at that level throughout their careers, they being Darius Williams and Paulson Adebo. So is this just a, a, a very hot streak and kind of, you know, buyer beware? Given the nature of cornerback, that's essentially how I would look at something like this. And I'm glad to have wrote, you know, ridden the wave if I've had these guys in my lineup. But I'm not necessarily counting on that moving forward. I'm going to put them in my lineup now until they show me that they're slowing down, but I'll be surprised if come week 17, Paulson Adebo and Darius Williams are still one and four respectively when it comes to uh, coverage grade at corner overall in the entire league. So I'll stop there. I guess get your initial talk, uh, thoughts there before we talk about some other notable names at cornerback that you may not have heard in that list. So let's talk about Paulson Adebo first. So I think dissecting his kind of season a little bit, right? <clears throat> he started the year not that strong. He had four weeks at the beginning of the year, sub-60 grading. Um, he also missed a few weeks, so he wasn't he wasn't healthy. The last four games is really where he's broken out, where he's had three games in a row with uh, over 90 grading, which is incredible. But if you look at those teams, right, it's Minnesota with Joshua Dobbs at quarterback. Dobbs did great but he isn't a top five quarterback in the NFL. You have Chicago with uh, the backup quarterback there. You have Indy with Gardner Minshew, and then you have Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence. So the Trevor Lawrence one, I'll give you that. That's pretty legit. The other three, I'm going to weigh that pretty lightly, right? And I think over the course of a year, you're right. I'm going to see this kind of level off. He's going to play better quarterbacks. Things are going to get back to normal. So if you, again, if you look at it, he's played eight games. Four of them have been bad. Four of them have been good. And that's why he has a good grade. I don't expect that to continue. Although, again, I agree with what you said. Play him until he proves that he's not going to do that. <clears throat> so I think that's one thing that kind of stuck out to me. The next thing I wanted to point out is kind of, we talked about Jalen Ramsey, right? And Jalen Ramsey for the past, I'd say, seven, eight years has been the number, like 
the res- resounding number one corner in the NFL. And when you look at what a number one corner in the NFL is supposed to be, right? He's 6'1", 208 pounds. He moves quick. He's a big bodied guy, but he can move quick. He could turn quick. He's fluid. All the cornerback terms you want to use, he's all of those things, right? But one thing he d- he did at a high level throughout his career is he created turnover-worthy plays, right? He he ha- he had a lot of interceptions. In his second year as a pro, he had five. One thing that sticks out to me about Sauce Gardner is that's not really what he's been doing, right? He's 6'3", 200 pounds. He's a big guy too, thin, but he's tall, but he doesn't really create a lot of turnovers. If you look at him, right, he's only has um, two interceptions in two years, right? So in two years, he only has two interceptions. That's not, that's not great, right? I think when you, when you expect a number one NFL corner, you expect them to be this kind of turnover guy that gets a lot of interceptions and that's not him, right? And I think that's why like Trevon Diggs got kind of a lot of hype a few years ago because he was creating a lot of those turnovers, even though his grading wasn't really high. So what does it say to me that Sauce Gardner is still grading extremely high, but he doesn't have a lot of turnover worthy plays? To me, that's saying, he's really locking things down, right? Where, where he's probably not getting the targets that a lot of other cornerbacks are uh, are getting. If you look at his his year so far, 33 corner uh, targets on the season, that's extremely low. Um, if I go to kind of like every guy in the, the league right now, Adebo for, for uh, just comparison has 43 targets. Darius Williams, who's right after... Um, Jalen Johnson and Sauce has 55 targets against him. So Sauce is probably second or third lowest on this list. I think DJ Reed, another guy, right? The Jets guy across from Sauce has 24 targets. So those two guys are really shutting things down. But it's also probably, you know, when you play the Jets, it's not like a high-flying offense. You don't have to throw the ball a lot, right? You can rush the ball. So I, I don't really know what to take from this DJ Reed or Sauce kind of combo and and, and them not turning the ball over a lot. But like, it says something that they're grading extremely highly without this kind of turnover thing happening to them. What do you think of that? It's interesting. I feel like we're going to have to do a follow-up episode to look into whether poor offenses help corners grade highly <laughs> because they're not tested. Uh, but I, I think in, in Sauce's case, you can when, when you watch, you can clearly see, hey, he, he's doing his thing because he is that guy, right? Uh, not necessarily just because of what's around him or what the other team is doing, right? If they do try to throw the ball, they're not, they're just not going to test him um, consistently because they will get burned if they do, because he is one of the top corners in the league. So I think when it comes to someone like sauce in particular, the, he's essentially situation proof where I don't think these external factors are going to impact his, his, his game too much. If, if Aaron Rodgers does this miraculous recovery from his Achilles injury and he comes back for the final four games of the season or something, I don't think all of a sudden we're going to see uh sauces targets per game increase by like three or four per game. I just don't think that that would happen if teams have to throw the ball more against the jets, because that's just not a smart thing to do to throw the ball at, at sauce Gardner. So um, I think, someone like him is situation proof and those other factors kind of help other corners who just because they're not situation proof and maybe reliant on those other factors doesn't mean they're not good. I think DJ Reed is very good. I just don't think he's sauce Gardner, right? Sauce Gardner was again, first in coverage grade last year, third this year, that's consistency. DJ Reed was 20th last year uh, and now fifth, 
through well, what 11 weeks now of the season. So I think that's sort of within the range, probably right there in the middle, about top 15 ish or so. Uh, I would say you can say he is consistently, but maybe due to those external factors that you mentioned, as far as not having to test the Jets secondary as much and that good front that they have, um, knowing that their offense is not going to score the ball a lot. Other teams are just not going to put the ball in harm's way through the air against the Jets. So that kind of helps someone like Reed maybe go from top 15 to top five, you know, through a good portion of the season. So I think that type of conversation is very relevant to most names in the cornerback position, but not necessarily for Sauce Gardner, right? Um, and then other notables, I think that may may have Wait, something to say. We move on. Yeah, go ahead. We move on. I want to give you the credit. Right. You you talked about Deron Bland this offseason. You really hyped him up and he's proving to be everything you said he was going to be. So props to you for that. Um, but I'm going to also kind of bash you a little bit because all yeah, I hear is you it. talking Let's crap. Go. All I hear is you talking crap about the Cowboys, Jerry Jones and how he drafts. Right. If you look at the last four Cowboy drafts, CeeDee Lamb, Trevon Diggs. Right. That was 2020. You have two top 10 players at their position in one draft. Let's go to the next year. Micah Parsons, Osea Digazua. Uh, mm -hmm. you have some other guys in here too that uh, like are, are role players, but you have another two guys that right now, if you look at the NFL, are playing top 10 at their position. So two years in a row, you have two positions in each year getting top 10 status at their position. You have Tyler Smith a year after, top 10 guard, Deron Bland, top five cornerback. Jake Ferguson is looking really good at tight end. And then this year, Mozzie Smith is looking good. Luke Shoemaker is doing okay. Um, you know, like <laughs> I, I'm okay. just saying, I'm, I'm just, I'm just kind of sick of this, like Jerry Jones hate about how he can't draft. He can't find talent, yada, yada, yada. I'm looking at your drafts and I'm like, okay, in the last four drafts, you have one, two, three, four, five. You at least have five players in the last four drafts that would be considered top 10 at their position. Like, how Let is that clarify. bad? The, the, no, what the Cowboys do well is draft. It's everything else that Jerry screws up. Okay. It's like, oh, Okay. We, you know, we, we drafted well. That's great. Oh, but let's go ahead and give the running back a huge contract after we've given him like 800 carries for his career. His legs are dead and nobody else is doing this because everybody else has wised up that you don't need to pay big money to a running back because we just invested a whole bunch in the offensive line in order to have a great running game without a running back. So like it's, it's those decisions like that, that the Cowboys take four steps ahead, you know, four steps forward and then one step back. And that one step back is the reason they cannot consistently get over the hump. For example, let's sign injured players at a discount air quotes, right? If, if, if you're watching on YouTube, you see the little air quotes go up there. Terrence Steele tore his ACL late last season. Oh, beautiful. Jerry Jones is licking his chops. Now he can sign him for like $4 million less per year. That's awesome. You got a right tackle for the future at a discount. Things are going great, right? Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Until he gives up nine pressures against the Philadelphia Eagles in the biggest game of the year and single-handedly ruins your miraculous comeback attempt, right? Oh, and then let's do the same thing with Michael Gallup coming off of an ACL. Instead of just keeping Amari Cooper on the books and, you know, just paying him 16 million per year, which is not bad for a top 15 to 20 receiver in the league. That is clear market rate at that point. 
no, 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 no. Let's get Michael Gallup at a discount at 10 million per year coming off of his ACL injury. So he could do absolutely nothing and be a black hole in the playoffs against the 49ers, lose us that game, then get outplayed by Brandon Cooks the next year as well. And just, you know, just be a black hole in the offense. It, it's those moves. We've gotten way off track. Holy cow. We um, have, but like, it's important. <laughs> it's important because it's about team building, right? That's kind of what Cowboys I The Cowboys draft about. well. Yes. The it's Cowboys draft well. They do not make pro personnel decisions at the level that they should, given the head start that they have through, you know, through their drafting efforts, right? Whether it's big contracts to Jalen Smith uh, as well. That's another one. Injury, you kind of see he's not the same guy, but it's a discount, so you sign him. Um, it's it's multifaceted, and there's so much goes into building a team. There are teams that can do the pro, you know, pro contracts and free agency so well, but they just don't draft well. Um, look at the Seahawks, for example, right? For for many years, their drafts have just been poor, like just just head scratcher after head scratcher after head scratcher. But their team is consistently good because. A, they have a couple late round late round finds, but also just through free agency and, and through just development as a whole, they're very good. So you kind of need all that. And Jerry Jones, just the, when it comes to the pro decisions and pro contracts, he just he gets he loses every time, loses every time. We haven't even talked about how he could have had Dak Prescott on a longer term deal for like ten million dollars less per year, but he wanted to wait for for who knows what. And and got screwed out of that one too. So, um, all right, well, yeah, getting us we back on track. Course. Then, what were we talking Deron, about? Deron Bland. I want to know about? what did yeah. you see in Deron Bland that you've that you've now seen throughout the year? Because I think like you know, I I have Dallas in like a traditional fantasy league. I have their defense in the first three four games of the season, whatever it was, they were amazing, right? And then Diggs gets hurt, and they kind of have taken a step back. But Deron Bland has done a great job stepping into that role. So what is it that you saw in him in the offseason that made you say he's going to be this guy? And then what have you seen him do to actually live up to that? Yeah, so Deron Bland is essentially built for the outside cornerback spot in the NFL. He's got that uh, essentially that prototype size. He's six foot, uh, 197, 200 pounds if he you know eats a cheeseburger for lunch, right? So six foot, 200 pounds. He's that prototypical size at corner. But he showed versatility in moving into the slot during his rookie year and taking that role after an injury to Jordan Lewis and was able to keep up with guys much smaller, much quicker, quick separators, didn't matter. He was able to defend two-way goes on a defense where people weren't targeting unless they had to. Trayvon Diggs, because they didn't want to put the ball in harm's way. Obviously, he's a playmaker. Yes, some yards can be had, but you you know you put your hand on the stove too many times you're going to get burned so a lot of teams are cautious on the outside and tried to pivot and throw in, on the inside into the slot and Deron Bland was making plays of his own i think he had five interceptions his rookie year as well so he was making plays at a position where he's not necess- not that he's not built for it but he's built better for the outside he's the outside prototype and was making plays against two way goes in the slot so he basically showed you that he could be a big corner who could play like a small corner when it comes to just pure athleticism. And that just carried over with more development, more experience in year two. And then after Trayvon Diggs got hurt, that role came, you know, his role was obviously even bigger than just that projected nickel role that he had heading into year two. And he just took it and ran with it. You know, he's, he's just picked up where he left off. And so when you see sometimes, people over 
complicate scouting and the draft process on, as a whole, right? Sometimes it's as simple as look at a big human being who can move like a small human being, right? If you could find someone with safety size, but cornerback athleticism, you won unless he's a knucklehead and just doesn't work hard. Like that's what you want, right? You don't want someone who's cornerback size and safety athleticism, right? You obviously want the inverse. Deron Bland was that guy. He was cornerback athleticism with safety size. And then when you put him on the field, he showed he was a natural football player. So check, check, check. That's, I mean, he hit every box. Um, and so, you know, people, oh, well, how does he, you know, turn against, you know, cover two or how is his zone, you know, awareness and, and things like that. It's like, get the biggest, fastest, most, most athletic guys, get all of them into a locker room and things will work themselves out. And Deron Bland is just someone who checked all of those boxes, despite being a late round pick who was off the radar as a result. Um, so that's a lot of fodder for our off season, uh, podcasts when we really dive into the draft, uh, and some individual prospects. But, um, again, the, he had the size, he had the athleticism, and then he had the tape to back it up in year one. And that just carried over into year two, which I think the fourth element, which we haven't talked about is coaching. He's got Dan Quinn. He's got a fantastic defensive coordinator. So it's not as if he was in a bad situation. Uh, I think I mentioned in the solo podcast, it's starting to come back to me what I talked about last time about Emmanuel Forbes and how this is someone who needs a steady environment around him in order to succeed because he has high upside, but he's a raw player. And Washington right now on defense anyway, is not that right? They, they gave up pieces at the trade deadline. They're looking for a franchise quarterback. A lot of their future assets are probably going to go to the offensive side of the ball moving forward here over the next couple of years. So that's not a good situation for a young player who needs it. Deron Bland had what you wanted to see, plus that good situation. So um, just again, for those listening and taking notes, those are the factors you want to consider in the offseason or even for the remainder of the season when you're looking at some guys who can break out, who may be a bit off the radar because they don't have that high draft capital and aren't talked about on ESPN or most even IDP format articles and such. Uh, you know, that's sort of the formula you look for for those sleeper guys to break out. For sure. And I mean, props to Duran Bland because the games, well, last year, right? Five interceptions, like you said, he had a 66 season grade this year. He already has five interceptions. And you talk about he was a slot corner when Trevon Diggs was healthy. He had a 74.8 grade week one, 72 week two in the slot. But then Diggs gets hurt. He gets moved to outside. And he's had multiple 90 plus graded games. He has a few in the 80s and then high 70s as well. So like he actually is playing better than he was in the slot at outside cornerback. So props to him. And, you know, for those of you that don't know, like, cornerback was the position that Ray and I played growing up. And, you know, we played football together and it is, uh, you know, one of the hardest positions to play. So I wanted to just shout out Dave Wiseman was my defensive coordinator at Sacred Heart. And he said, and I'll never forget this, besides quarterback, which is the mentally most difficult position to play in football, cornerback is the physically most difficult position to play in football. Think about what you're asked to do as a cornerback, right? You're asked to follow somebody that runs as fast as anybody in the world as they run and make cuts in different directions and you don't know where they're going, but everybody on the offensive side does, right? So your job is to stick with somebody as they make cuts and they're the fastest people in the world. And that's essentially your job. How anybody does that, right, is, is almost impossible. So that's, I think, what we were talking about before in that 
it is so hard to be consistently good year over year. Cause think about it. If you wake up, think about you at home, right? You're sitting there. Maybe you woke up this morning, you're 35 years old. Your hip hurts a little bit, or your knees a little swollen. You were sitting at a desk for too long and your knees swollen. Like even if you have that pain a little bit at cornerback going into a game that could take you from being this like amazing corner to like, you're getting toasted five times that game because you just can't keep up. Like that's how difficult it is to play cornerback in the NFL. And these guys that we're talking about, like a sauce Gardner, who's consistently good, Jalen Ramsey, these are like some of the most special athletes in the world. Just throwing that out there. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. And so again, I think the great equalizer is because of how tough it is. Just be bigger and faster than the guy across from you. Find the guy that's going to be bigger and faster than the guy across from him more often than not. And that's how you build a good team and a good defense, right? Uh, So you talked about how difficult it is to play corner at a high level consistently. And so some other notables that we haven't discussed that just kind of show you how, how hard it is to play at a high level consistently at that spot. Patrick Sertan, um, just coverage grade we're talking right now, right? Uh, 66.9. Uh, And that's good for 31st in the NFL after finishing second in coverage grade last year with a total grade of 86.7. Tariq Woolen uh, is 25th in the league right now, which is still still very good. Top 25 corner with a 70.3 coverage grade after finishing in the top 10 at ninth last year in 77.8. And then Tyson Campbell is currently 33rd uh, after finishing in the top five last year in total coverage grade. Uh, so it just goes to show you, you can be among the best at your position and what you do, but because of the nature of cornerback, you know, two, maybe three bad nights can really alter sort of the, 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 how your, how your season is perceived in your overall season performance, because it is just that tough. And the consequences are so great when you don't play at a high level in any given snap at corner, right? Um, however, I think one thing that we don't discuss enough when it comes to this, uh, let's go back to Patrick Sertan, right? I just mentioned he's 31st in coverage grade in the league right now among all corners, but he's got an 82.3 coverage grade, which actually uplifts his overall season performance into the top 16 at cornerback Tariq Woolen. Um, while I mentioned he's at 25th with his coverage grade in the seventies, He's actually the 30th overall corner because his run grade is in the 50s. And Tyson Campbell uh, has a 90 run defense grade at the cornerback spot. So despite being 33rd in coverage overall, he is a top 20 corner. He's 20th overall in the league as a result. So I think in coverage, you're going to see those fluctuations year to year, even week to week. But if you're a steady tackler, a sound player, you do provide a floor for yourself because this is a down quote unquote year coverage wise so far for Patrick Tan, but he's still a top 16 corner in the NFL because he's so well-rounded that it's not as if he's out there missing tackles on the boundary and not holding his own on the edge. So that's just another thing to, to keep in mind, which 
I think you did a very good job of Chris, uh, heading into this year. And, and when uh, we were looking at draft prospects, because you were a big fan of, of Witherspoon as a result of that sort of completeness to his game, you know, he might not be the athletic prodigy that some other corners were, but he was that sort of complete player, that physical presence at that spot. And we see that among his peers, he's doing very well for rookie corner so far. So, uh, kudos to you for that. I think it goes to show that, Hey, you do have to consider everything involved here, not just how they, you know, how they're running with their receivers and coverage on a down to down basis. Exactly. And yeah, Devin Witherspoon has a 90.9 pass rush grade, right? Like they're asking him to do different things and that's not necessarily what you want your top corner to do, but you know, his 77.7 coverage grade is, is still pretty good, but he's the number seven corner in the NFL right now in all 22 because he does other things really well, not just because he's a great coverage corner. So yeah, let's let's move on from the corner conversation. I think we talked about a lot, and it's all good stuff. Uh, but before I know you want to jump into quarterbacks, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you there, and I wanted to talk about sexy Dexy for a second, right? <laughs> Giants fans need something to live for right now. I think all of them are standing on the top of a building, just ready to jump, right? And we need to give them a little bit of hope. Lots of those in New York. Lots of those in New York, which is where we are. Um, but Dexter Lawrence is currently the number one defensive interior player in the NFL, right? So want to talk about him for a second and just kind of say how hard it is to be that right now, right? You're going against guys like Aaron Donald, who's still playing at a high level, although aging. You have Chris Jones coming back and doing really well. Jalen Carter stepping up and just being this all-around amazing defensive interior. But Dexter Lawrence is number one right now, um, and I want to know why. <laughs> Because he's bigger and stronger and faster than everybody that lines up across from him. It's six four three forty two. It's might not <laughs> yeah. be wrong. Who moves like six four two ninety? So like it's that's it, what it is. He's a, he's a powerful athletic being. And the thing is too, his schedule has not been easy. He's played the Cowboys twice and graded in the eighties and nineties respectively. When you talk about the interior of that offensive line with uh, Tyler Smith, who's the top rated guard, uh, it might be top three after this, this most recent week. I haven't checked since before week 10, but, uh, him and Zach Martin on the interior, like he's not going up against easy guys, uh, in, in that division. And he's still performing at a super high level on a team that's out there or a defense that's out on the field. Uh, so often as a result of that offense, not really sustaining drives consistently. So there's a lot of opportunity for him to wear down over the course of a game and, you know, have some late performances just really sort of bring down his overall grade as a result of just being on the field for too long and eventually succumbing to fatigue and giving up plays. And that's just not happening. You look at his player card, it's a ton of blue and a lot of green and no yellow or orange or any of that other stuff. He actually has a 58.3 coverage grade. I'm going to have to go back. I got to find that play and see what the heck they were doing and why he was ever in coverage. Maybe it was a screen pass or something. But uh, yeah, other than that, other than coverage, uh, he is literally the the first overall pass rusher on the defensive interior in the league and the number two overall run defender at that position. So he is playing at an elite level uh, in a situation that's not necessarily the greatest for someone at that position, because we talked about how with cornerbacks, if they have a poor sort of offense on the other side of the ball uh, on their team, that is right. Like the New York jets teams may not threaten them through the air as much because they don't have to put the ball in harm's way um, in order to get out with a win. But against a team like the giants, right? 
that means they're going to put the ball on the ground and eventually sort of wear down that defensive front. And Dexter Lawrence is not wearing down. So he's actually in that tougher position than some of those corners that we discussed at the start of this episode. And yeah, he's just performing at a very high level. I mean, he he was he was, you know, a 92 overall grade in 2022, 92.7 thus far in 2023. So at 26 years old, he is in his prime playing like it. There is there is really nothing you could say as as it goes as far as weaknesses or downsides to Dexter Lawrence right now. This is a cornerstone player on any defense and on your all 22 team as a whole because it's a pretty scarce position and he is just playing at the top of his game. So one thing I want to add to that, right? Because all of that is true. But you you mentioned that he leads the NFL of defensive interiors at hurries, right? At, at getting to the quarterback or making the quarterback uncomfortable. He is the only one of the top 32 graded defensive interiors that primarily lines up in the A gap. Every single other defensive interior player lines up in the B gap. That's top 32. You have to go all the way to 32, which is Kobe Turner, who only has 129 snaps in the A gap compared to Dexter Lawrence has 342. So there's not a single other defensive interior in that top 32 that has over 100 snaps over the A gap. And Dexter Lawrence has 342 and leading the NFL in hurries at the defensive interior position. So just want to elevate how special the performance that he's uh, kind of giving is, right? It's, it is extremely special what he's doing. So just to add a little bit of that context. One thing that's also interesting just for context, right? Which is a separator from, you know, if you're playing IDP to playing all 22, something that, you know, we, we don't really see ourselves as an IDP game. So Dexter Lawrence, highest graded defensive interior at this point, has 31 hurries, which leads to the NFL, but he only has four sacks, right? So if you're playing an IDP game, he's not all that valuable. You play all 22, he's the most valuable, right? And that's compared to Justin Mabaduki, I believe is how you say his Matabike. name. Matabike. Okay. He has 18 hurries, but he has nine sacks, right? So he is more valuable to you in IDP than... Dexter Lawrence is, he only has a 62.5 defensive grade. So again, just to give some context of, of how what we're doing is so different and why we're trying to kind of give that true value back to fantasy football, matching it to what the NFL does. Yeah, that, that, that A to B gap is a wild stat. And just for, for some context, for those who may not be quite as familiar with the terminology, right? But the A gap uh, between the center and the guard, B gap between the guard and tackle, it's easier to double team someone in the A gap than it is for someone who's lined up between the guard and the tackle because you have an edge rusher on the outside shoulder of the tackle. And so normally they're going to be preoccupied with the outside, right? Uh, more so than someone on the interior, where if you're lined up between the center and the guard, that's the most common double team that you'll see on the interior. And, um, I get it. I mean, with all those pressures, only four sacks. I mean, if you saw that coming at you, you would get rid of the ball as quickly as possible. You just would not let him actually get his hands on you. So, uh, makes total sense. So yes, giants fans, um, be grateful for Dexter Lawrence. Do they, should they trade him for like a big haul or something? Should I no. just throw that bomb in here and then no. just we move on to quarterbacks? You only do that if you're good at drafting, right? So, Oh you know. wow. Yeah. That's a good point. That is, yeah. a, that is a very good point. Um, so, Keep what you have. Yeah. Still right. on that Giants fans. So talk to me about the quarterbacks. Quarterbacks. We got we got two big news items at the quarterback position. Uh, first, we're going to start with the most recent news of Deshaun Watson um, having a season-ending shoulder surgery. 
some type of fracture, and I'm not even going to pronounce the, the the name of the the bone or whatever it is. But essentially, he's got a fracture in his shoulder and is going to miss the rest of the year. Uh, suffer the injury during the most recent game. He's been banged up uh, this season, kind of throughout the entire year. Right? He's just never been a hundred percent. And so we talked about him a little bit heading into this year, and just we weren't sure what to make of him, right? Because obviously he had the long hiatus from the league, came back in 2022 for some time, but was clearly not the same guy he was in Houston, which in some aspects makes a lot of sense because again, he had a lot of time off, a new system, new offense, and it's the the Cleveland Browns. So you, you throw all that in the mix, you're not necessarily expecting him to be a high level performer right out of the gate. But then that kind of left us in 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 flux as far as what to do with him heading into 2023. And so then we come into 2023, and like we mentioned, he's kind of been banged up all year, hasn't been quite right, missed a couple games or has you know, left a couple games early with some nagging injuries, uh, had P.J. Walker you know, have a comeback win, so to speak, over in Cleveland. So I wanted to dive into him and just say, hey, what can we sort of take from his performance thus far? And is there anything we can learn from his 2022 to 2023 progression and anything that stands out, right? So uh, let's start in 2022 when he first came back into the league. He was the 37th graded quarterback in the NFL, which is horrendous. It's awful, right? 37th in uh, big time throw rate and 10th in turnover-worthy play rate. In this instance, that's not the 10th best. That's like the 10th most turnover-worthy play. So that is not good to be in the top 10. And he was 26th in average depth of target. So we go, okay, that's that's horrible. But maybe, you know, he was just very rusty, new system, all that good stuff. So in 2023, thus far, he's the 23rd ranked quarterback in the NFL. Still not great. 23rd in big-time throw rate. Again, not great but 31st in turnover-worthy play rate. So again, that, that, that is actually much better than 10th. Um, so relatively speaking, from his performance last year, he was not putting the ball much in harm's way, but he had the sixth highest average depth of target. So he was kind of getting back to that throw the ball downfield, kind of that playmaking DNA that we saw from him early in his career, even though they may not have necessarily been hitting but that DNA was there. He was still playing that same style of ball and was not putting the ball in harm's way, which is what, of course, you want to see when you are going for the big play. So those numbers were across the board an improvement from 2022, but still not great. So I guess if you want to be optimistic, he's a quarterback with playmaking DNA who's still stylistically playing like one, but injuries kind of you know held him back a bit this year, could never quite find his footing but still played better after expectedly having to knock off some rust in 2022. But you could be a pessimist and say, well, now he's constantly injured. He's got a throwing shoulder injury. You know, I'm just staying away. Where do you kind of fall on this? I think I already know, but what's kind of your take on Deshaun Watson uh, this year? And then I guess really beyond because this year, obviously he's not playing anymore, uh, but moving forward here for, for all 22 purposes. Sure. So, I, I mean, I think I've made it pretty clear what I think of the man, and I'm not going to talk about that, right? I'll, I'll leave that part mm-hmm. out of it, right? Because we've we've kind of spoke about what he is as a man and how I think that I would invest in somebody like that. So I'm going to push that aside. Him as a player, right? I think you're right. We saw progression from last year to this year. He had 2021 off. So we expected him to be rusty last year, and he was extremely rusty. 
But then for him to come back this year and only be slightly better, like I think you mentioned, you know, he's around the 23rd uh, best quarterback and like big time throw rate and things like that. I think that's where he kind of is this year, right? He was kind of seen as this, like he definitely wasn't first, second or third tier quarterbacks. He was playing like this very inconsistent young quarterback, which isn't what he is, right? He is supposed to be now, you know, 28 years old. He's supposed to be well into his prime. Um, so very concerning, right? That's to me very concerning. If you look at his week to week, right? It's 66, 59, 74, 23, 78, 59, right? So it's it's a lot of up and down in terms of grading. Um, all of that is great, you know, and, and, and I think I can draw a conclusion just on that alone. But if you want more, and, and the thing that really is the most concerning to me is the fact that I think Cleveland is probably one of the best situations in all of football, right? So I, th I am a person that believes that situation, especially for a quarterback, makes a big difference, right? Quarterback impacts team, team impacts quarterback. That's why they're the highest paid player in the game, because when they're on the field, they're supposed to take, you know, what could be an average team to a Super Bowl team or can take an average team and sink them, right? Deshaun Watson was kind of doing that, right? He was taking what is actually one of the best teams in the NFL and bringing them to this almost like average place, right? Until they won against uh, Baltimore this week, there was a lot of disappointing games from Baltimore. You look at the offensive line, right? It's 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 Pokic, uh, Wyatt Teller, Joel Petonio. This is one of the best offensive lines in football. Yes, they have a rookie tackle in Dewan Jones, who's, you know, had some ups and downs. Um, he's going to be fine. Jedrick Willis, right? It's like, you know, uh, he's, he's had a lot of ups and downs, but they have Jack Conklin. Like this is this is one of the better offensive lines. You have David Njoku, who's a great playmaker. Harrison Bryant, in his own right, is a great playmaker. You have one of the best running back situations in football, even with Kareem Hunt getting hurt. Jerome Ford has stepped up and done great. Excuse me, Nick Chubb getting hurt. You have Kareem Hunt coming in and doing well. Jerome Ford's doing well. You have one of the best receiving cores with Amari Cooper. Uh, you know, you go and trade and make a big deal out of getting Elijah Moore, who I was never high on, but people seem to love him. Um, love Cedric it. Tillman, you go and draft. So like, again, you've, you've made investments. This is one of the best built offenses in football. And Deshaun Watson was making that look like a difficult situation. So to me, that says that he is still not where he was. He isn't where he could be. And if you're 28 years old and all of those things are stacked up against you, and now you have a season ending shoulder surgery and you're coming back from that, you're going to miss the rest of this entire year. You're coming back again after missing a huge chunk of time. You have three years of guaranteed money still on your contract. So what does it mean for 2024, right? So if I'm in dynasty, I am thinking, well, I need to replace Deshaun Watson, right? Like if, if I am a Deshaun Watson owner and that is what my team has been built on, I'm saying I need to go and find somebody else because I cannot trust him at this point. I think if I am somebody in a startup draft and I'm looking at Deshaun Watson, I think what you said before, 23rd best quarterback in some categories, I think that's about where I would say he is, right? I think Deshaun Watson is still one of those players that he's going to be better than the replacements, right? He's not a replacement level player. He's better than that, but he's supposed to be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Good. Right. And he's nowhere close to that. So I'd say 23rd is probably close. I can't help, but sit here and go, what would the Browns be if they had just kept Baker? Right. Mm -hmm. That's what kills me. That's what kills me about the Browns. That's why uh, Browns fans out there. I know there are a ton of you that listen to this podcast and I'm sorry. I've been super negative, um, but I've really liked Baker and I really liked what Baker was for your city and for your team. I don't think that comes easily. I think you guys took that for granted. Maybe not the fans, but the organization took that for granted. 
Um, you know, you talk about Deshaun Watson getting a shoulder injury, a shoulder injury. That's what happened to Baker. And Baker played through it to, for his team, for his city, to not let his teammates down. And they they uh, kind of penalized him for that, right? And they shipped him out. Uh, if Baker's here with the season he's having, if it, just for context, right? Deshaun Watson has 66.9 grade this year. Uh, Baker Mayfield, let me see. Do, 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 do. Takes me a second. I apologize for the dead air. 66.9 for, for Watson. Baker is a 73.3 on a much worse offensive system. Much worse, right? And that's from him going from Cleveland to Carolina to LA to Tampa, right? So like he hasn't had consistency like Watson has, hasn't had a consistent situation. He had the similar injury. He missed time. So if Baker was still in Cleveland and just for context, right, his rookie year, 83.2, sophomore year, 74.8, third year, 85.7, before that injury, he was playing extremely well. If Baker is there, I believe that Cleveland would be a Super Bowl level team. They would have had this consistency. It's the same knock I have on the Jets, right? The Jets year over year, they go and draft these quarterbacks with top five picks. They give them a couple of years to pressure. The press is too much and they they bail, right? I give the Jets a lot of credit for right now trying to stick with Zach Wilson, even if Zach Wilson isn't the long-term answer, because you have to give these guys chances to learn how to play football in the NFL. The Packers are doing that with Jordan Love. They did it with Aaron Rodgers. That's how you build an NFL team. Baker started as a rookie and did it well. I just, I'm going on a rant here, Ray. I'm sorry, buddy. But this is this is the ranting fair. episode. We, yeah, we <laughs> went, flew off the handle with this one. It's great. Yeah, but yeah, I just, I just can't help but think if Baker Mayfield is the quarterback of the Browns, we're talking about them being a Super Bowl level team, and it's a shame because they they invested in a guy with character concerns and a guy that's now going to miss the remainder of the year and still has three years as the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. That's going to hit that team and just make that team worse. Done. Yeah. So I think, I think to sum this all up, um, if we want to bring it full circle back to Deshaun Watson, right? We landed on thus far this year, 23rd overall quarterback, right? That is a quarterback two in 12 team leagues, a, a back end quarterback too, right? But you may be looking at that and saying, if you are the optimist, you're going, okay, if he's my quarterback too, perhaps there's some upside. He is still only 28 years old. Maybe year three, he continues to progress the way he did from year one to year two. It's worth a shot in the dark, given what we did see from him when he was younger in Houston, which was not a, a great situation back then either. He had DeAndre Hopkins, but everything else around that, uh, around the two of them was just not good. So uh, it's, I guess, sort of just where do you fall on the Deshaun Watson? There's cases to be made either or um, best case right now, that quarterback two with upside that you just kind of leave on your bench and see what happens. We also have, of course, I'm sure Bobby listening is screaming because we have not mentioned Dorian Thompson Robinson uh, starting the remainder of the season as we sit here today. But, uh, you know, maybe we'll review his performance coming out of this next week's game. So uh, with that, I think we can go on to your favorite food, calamari, and it's returned we can't do to that Arizona. We can't no? do that yet. No, we got to talk about DTR because oh, DTR has only had – he's only Brandon had one – again. He's only had one game in the NFL and it was a poor performance, but it was on very limited notice. Um, I was not high on DTR as a prospect, but he did impress in the preseason. Uh, so I just want to level set with people. Like what are, right? Like let's, let's predict a little bit. What are our expectations? If you look at his preseason games, the first two were incredible. It's like a hall of fame game and it's the second preseason game. He did really well. Most of the time, those games are played by backups, right? Or third string players. He was crushing those kind of players. 
weeks three and four in the preseason, which is when the pros start to play, you see his grading really drop off and go back to kind of average. Uh, DTR, again, in his first game as a pro, was really poor. This game, he's going to have a week of preparation. My expectation is that it's not great, but I think it's going to be a lot better than what it just was in that one game. So I expect more of like this average performance. Maybe he has a couple big-time throws. I expect him to turn the ball over a couple times as well. Um, What do you expect? I don't know what to expect, to be honest. Um, Come on, man. If 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 you if you had to if I had to put something, you know, uh, if I had to put something down in writing, I would say, I don't know, probably the twenty third best quarterback performance <laughs> in the league. That's probably what I would say because, uh, you know, again, I, I agree. Deshaun Watson thus far hasn't been very impressive um, when it comes to you know a what we what we thought of him, right? But given that situation as well, that level of play that he showed is something that I believe DTR can achieve in a good situation, which I do believe this is. So I wouldn't expect anything more than that, given that he's a young player. We don't know much about him. Um, You know, Bobby's very high on him. That's great. We'll just have to see where he goes. But I would say, yeah, if you said he, if if you said for the remainder of the year, the next, what, six games, seven games, however many they have left, he was the 23rd uh, best quarterback in the NFL from here on out. I'd say that makes sense. Okay. All right. Yeah, we talked about it, right? We'll talk about it in detail after we see him play, but we had to mention it. So go ahead, Calamari. What do we talk about Calamari? Yeah, so another one where it's like, okay, what the heck do we do with with, with him, right? What what do we do with Calamari? So um, he returned to the field against the Falcons last week, admittedly a weak defense. And the overall grade and the numbers are just pretty ho-hum, right? Uh, 19 of 32, 249 yards through the air in interception. 60 passing grade, 65.6 overall. However, he was coming off of a knee injury and he ran for 33 yards and a touchdown, looked athletic. And I guess the question is, it's only one sample size. So we're not going to extrapolate, you know, his future performance for, you know, what this means for you in 2024 and beyond. Is he a franchise guy? I think it's still way too early and we need not just how you know how he performs for the remainder of these games in 2023, but what the heck the Cardinals do uh, in the offseason to really determine what the prognosis is for Kyler Murray moving forward. But I guess when it comes to just on the field, what are you looking for from him? What's more important to you? Is it how he looks as a passer, or are you looking for how he looks athletically with as far as like his, you know, running style and, and the juice coming back in his legs and just, you know, being that guy that we saw before the injury on the ground? Which which is more important to you? That athleticism coming back or you know, his performance through the air? Yeah, it's definitely the performance through the air for me. Um, you know, I think. Kyler Murray just kind of, you know, history lesson has been this, like, again, kind of like an up and down player, uh, a lot of personality concerns that you're hearing about, but like, forget all of that. What is he on the field? Um, he's a really talented player. He's one of the most talented players that probably I've ever seen play football, right? He He's, he's like my size. He's like five, nine and like 200 pounds and can, and can throw the ball a mile. He has a, he has a strong enough arm for the NFL he does all of the little things well on the field. But to me, when I watched this last game against Atlanta, he was making things look difficult that didn't necessarily need to look difficult. And that was like the biggest concern I had watching him play football. It's it's he's now in his fifth year. He's supposed to be getting into that kind of veteran status. I think he's in his fifth year or something like that. He's supposed to be getting into this veteran status. Um 
and you saw Joshua Dobbs, what he was able to do with his team, and you saw the team get behind him, and uh, you know they they were competitive in a lot of games that they shouldn't have been competitive. Uh, Kyler Murray comes back, and he you know kind of does something similar where he you know kept them competitive in the game. They ended up winning the game. He helped bring that comeback, but it didn't look easy, right? It looked difficult the entire time. Um, I expect Kyler to continue to kind of be this renegade style player, kind of similar to like a Baker, right? Like similar kind of football. Um, but I expect him to, you know, uh, to, to continue to be this really talented player. I just want to see him get the team behind him. I want to see him continue to, you know, uh, just kind of play in structure. I want to see that develop. I want to see him learn how to do that at a higher level. Um, and I, I just, I, I want to see him do well, right? Like at the end of the day, I just, I would like to see him do well. Although at this point, I will say I'm not very certain that he will. Yeah, I think all that's fair. Um, and the other thing, of course, is health, right? Sometimes when uh, quarterbacks or players in general come back from these major um, knee injuries or lower body injuries as a whole, something else breaks, right? It's all uh, the hamstring pulls, the the calf strains, uh, you know, the, the hip issues, all, all that, all that other stuff, right? Because the body has just been through some trauma and 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 so on and so forth. So I want to see him also just play the next two months and come out in good health first and foremost. Right. And then like you mentioned, all that stuff as it relates to, uh, you know, sort of assimilating back to the team and that on-field performance, as far as looking himself and just getting that natural feel for the game again, uh, that takes time and we have to see how that develops. I mean, modern warfare three is out now. So uh, that's just another thing that, that we also have to concern ourselves with, with Kyler Murray. So uh, a lot that still needs to shake out, but um, I think all those are, are factors that we need to pay attention to. But of course, also, let's not just because he's back on the field, that health is still a, not a concern, but you still want to monitor that and see how he at least finishes up this year since he is either less than a year, or just about a year removed from that knee injury. I have a crying dog behind me, so I apologize in advance. But yeah, I, I think that's a good take. Um, I do think we need to talk about not this episode, but maybe in a future episode about Caleb Williams. Um, because I do see some similarities in their game. Um, and I want to talk about that in more detail after I've, I've had a chance to digest the film. That's the crying dog. So uh, I don't have anything else to say. Ray, do you have anything? No, this is great. I, I kind of noticed for the last uh, couple minutes, uh, your video was kind of just like a, a still screenshot and it looked like a PlayStation one kind of like thumbnail, like throwback retro. It looked great. Your audio was fine. So we're just going to roll with it. But awesome. um yeah, I think I think between the cornerbacks and the quarterback news that that we covered a lot today, uh, had some good rants and laughs in between. But um, can't wait for that Caleb Williams episode because that's that's going to be a doozy. Yeah, and I think we should do it soon. So let's prep for that. We'll get it on next time. But everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. It's been great to be back. Um, if you haven't yet, please give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at all twenty two underscore pff, and leave us a review wherever you watch or listen to your podcast. And thanks for tuning in. Thank you.